0: Welcome to The Urban Lab with Sam Chandon, the podcast on cities and the built environment, featuring leaders in industry, research, and policymaking.
1: Welcome to The Urban Lab. I'm your host, Sam Chandon, the Silverstein Chair at NYU's Shack Institute of Real Estate. According to reports from the National Multi-Housing Council, or NMHC, more than 90% of apartment households in the United States paid their rent in May, in full or in part. That's actually an improvement over April's rent payment rate, and a much better result than many in the industry expected. So while we've seen a worst-case scenario unfold in the labor market this spring, with renters likely accounting for a disproportionate share of the country's newly unemployed, it has not translated into an equally abrupt deterioration in the apartment market. That's not to say renters aren't struggling, and that we don't face the prospect of widespread housing and food insecurity in the coming months as payroll support and household savings run out. On the other hand, demand may be strengthening for properties outside the urban core, such as single-family homes for rent, as some city dwellers rethink their commitment to high-density living. With me to discuss the outlook for the apartment market, I'm joined by Ivan Kaufman, founder, chairman, president, and CEO of Arbor Realty Trust, a leading multifamily and commercial real estate lender and publicly traded real estate investment trust. Ivan, thanks for joining me.
0: Thank you, Sam, and pleasure to be here with you
1: today. Ivan, data from NMHC show the rent payment rates for May are about 90.8% as of May 20th, and that's just slightly lower than May of 2019. With historically high unemployment, will those numbers hold up?
0: So first of all, I think everybody's surprised by the resiliency of the renter and their ability to pay. And when the COVID crisis uh, first hit us all, there was a tremendous amount of fear and concern as to whether renters would have the ability and the willingness to make their rent payments. And surprisingly, uh, April was extraordinary in terms of the amount of rents that were being made uh, comparable to the same time last year. And certainly May's date is even better than April. And I think this is a result of two factors, the way we look at it at Arbor, and the way we underwrite loans, and the way we understand our borrowers and our customers. First off, the programs that were put forth by the government, specifically the unemployment uh, insurance programs and the extra monies, put in many people's hands enough economics Mm -hmm. to be able to make their payments. And that was a very, very important response from the government to give people a security, despite job loss, that they'll be able to meet their obligations. Uh, and that has transferred through to making their payments and uh, keeping the number of forbearance requests down. And that was quite a surprise. People were thinking, and there was a lot of rumors of rent strikes, there were a lot of rumors of people not being able to make their payments because of unemployment and because of the difficulties that were being uh, created by COVID. But, As renters were getting a sufficient replacement of income from their jobs from the government in the form of unemployment insurance, they had the capability. Furthermore, there are a lot of people who have less expenses. They're not going out. They don't have that discretionary spending. Uh, They're not going shopping. So even if it is slightly less, they have less other expenses. The other factor, which is quite a psychological factor, and one that we started to understand very clearly, is that more than ever, people's home is their castle. They're not going to work, they're not going to restaurants, they're not going to ball games, they're not going to friends' homes. They're living, working in their homes with their families. So to the extent that they have the capability, they wanna protect the one place that they're spending all their time. So those two factors combined have created an extraordinary result compared to what was expected. With respect to what happens over the next several months, clearly the ability for people to pay their rent will be tied into two factors. Number one, uh, how much longer will the unemployment insurance run? We know it goes for a long time. Will there be extra payments that that will be given And is that important for them to make their payments? And just as importantly, how will people start returning to work? And those three factors will dictate how the next six months' worth of rent payments uh, are made.
1: So there's obviously a lot of uncertainty with regard to the outlook for the labor market and in the policy environment with regard to the possibility of additional support uh, from federal, state, local governments. What is your outlook right now for the apartment sector generally? Uh, where might we be later on in 2020-21?
0: So as an asset class, we're extremely bullish on the multifamily asset class. Uh, with respect to how we look at the underlying rents and occupancies, I think we're going to pause on any level of rent growth. I think we're going to look at it as flat to maybe a slight decline Um, And we're going to look at occupancies dropping slightly. I think there are a couple of factors that we need to evaluate. Number one, if there is continued or a a level of unemployment, uh, the people end up moving back and spending more in one home with their families, therefore less rental demand. Um, Are people more likely to start buying homes right now because they want out of the urban areas for the fear that there will be uh, you know, a continuation of this pandemic or other type of things? And do they say, hey, it's time to pack it up, move out to the suburbs, uh, and have a home? So I think those are two demand factors that will affect our underwriting and lead to flat to slightly declining rent growth and a little bit more uh, in vacancy. But overall, we think the fundamentals are extraordinary. And coupled with the fact that interest rates are at significantly less levels than they were a year ago, uh, you know, to borrow on a multifamily asset, it was in the three and three quarter to four and a quarter range. Today, you're looking at three to three and a half. It's going to break three percent. So I think the values will hold up very well. And I think other asset classes have disappeared, so the investor demand for multifamily property should be strong, even with flat, slightly declining rents and slightly
1: declining occupancies. What types of deals are getting done right now?
0: So it's it's very interesting. Initially, um, everything kind of came to a stop, and there was a big disconnect uh, with the borrowers and the lenders. The borrowers couldn't adapt to the dislocation that occurred, whereas the lenders got hit right away. So there was a full gap. Um, In terms of liquidity in the market, I think this is very important to note. Uh, The agencies have provided an extraordinary amount of liquidity, keeping the multifamily sector very active, very vibrant, and very steady. And they have made some adaptations, which we'll talk about later. So there's a lot of liquidity in terms of providing, um, you know, ten-year fixed-rate loans uh, on a thirty-year amortization, that market extremely active for refinances. Um, with respect to transitional loans, that's still a little bit more difficult. Um, I think there's not a lot of lenders providing traditional f- transitional financing. We're one of the only lenders in the market who are still very active. Uh, we were doing about, you know. 200 to 250 million a month in, in in transitional bridge loans. We're doing about 150 to 200 million now. Our funding sources are very solid, but the type of deals we're seeing are a lot of loans coming off construction loans um, and lease up situations. Uh, the other ones we're seeing are uh, a slight loss in occupancy where they're not eligible for agency loans at this point in time. So it's mostly lease-up situations uh, on the transitional side. Um, And with the drop in LIBOR, even though funding's a little bit more expensive, uh, it's not that much on a relative
1: basis. Are are construction loans getting done right now as well?
0: We're not seeing many new construction loans. I think most of the construction lenders are trying to lighten their book and get rid of a lot of their loans. And you know, in a market, it's funny how it works. The multifamily asset class is a strong one, and that's where lenders have liquidity. So they're trying to get rid of their good loans and they're stuck with their bad loans. So we're seeing a lot of opportunities right now to uh, refinance existing construction loans into bridge loans, which ultimately, once they're leased up, will become agency loans. Uh, and that's where the opportunities are. Uh, you know, loans that are on the construction side, coming off the construction side, and going into a transitional bridge loan. Oh,
1: you know, as compared to you know the retail sector, the hotel sector, what you're describing is an entirely different world. Um, nonetheless, there, there must be some cases in which uh, borrowers are struggling to make rent payments. What have we seen in the market in terms of? the need for forbearance in multifamily. And if you can actually tell us a little bit about what we mean when we talk about forbearance.
0: So forbearance was a very miscommunicated and misunderstood concept. People initially thought forbearance was an opportunity for them not to pay their their mortgages. That's not correct. Forbearance is just a deferral. You're just not able to pay today but you aggregate your missed payments and you pay them back over time. And that's a very important concept to be understood. So it's just a delay. That means if you don't have the cash flow, um, you ask the lender for help. In most circumstances, if the cash flow is lacking, lenders will forbear those payments and tack them on either to the end or 12 months out and spread them out over a period of time. So it's not a vacation from paying rent permanently. It's just a delay. And once borrowers understand that, most borrowers wanna try and make their payments. However, there are many borrowers who are trying to hoard cash, not make their payments. And that is not a good concept because if they have the ability, they should make their payments. And what you're seeing is if renters have their abilities, they are making their payments. So the borrower should follow suit that if they do have the ability, they should make their payment. There are certain pockets that are hit and occupancies have dropped in certain specific areas. Those are the borrowers who we have to work with and work with those who have really been impacted uh, by the pandemic. But when rent is only when rent collections are only two to three or four percent off where they were historically, those borrowers do not need forbearance or assistance. So it has to be applied in the proper circumstances.
1: You've talked about the importance of the multifamily ecosystem, your renters uh, that are able to paying their rent borrowers uh, paying their mortgages, what is uh, what is the rest of that ecosystem and how does it impact the market uh, overall if we were to see uh, folks uh, stop making those payments?
0: Well, all, it goes all the way through. If renters don't make their payments and uh, the borrowers can't manage their payments to their lenders, then the lenders, if they have securitization or capital issues they can't meet their obligations and the securitization market gets backed up and dislocated and then there's no new lending to be done and then values get impacted. So the chain just doesn't stop at one level. It goes all the way through and then you have a dislocated uh, you know, functioning financing market and if there's no financing, you know, properties can't trade. So to the extent that it starts with the renter, it goes to the borrower, and everybody's able to make their payments or make a good faith effort to make their payments, the system returns to normal and starts to function and liquidity comes back. And you know, that's where we're very fortunate um, in the multifamily market to have the support of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac and FHA because they don't withdraw from the market. They, they provide liquidity and the right factors and the standardization and they don't panic. And that's why there's a lot of stability uh, to the multifamily market. And that translates back into quality housing and affordable housing. So there's a lot of sense to having the agencies involved in this segment of the market when it comes to, you know, households
1: and families. What's your sense of how smaller properties, uh, less institutional owners and borrowers are performing in this market?
0: So we estimate generally that delinquencies on smaller properties is generally three times what it is on large properties. And that's a result of a number of factors. Number one, you hit on it that those are not institutional uh, borrowers. They are mom and pops. They own one, two, or three, or four assets. They don't have the financial resources uh, to overcome a short-term issue. They get there eventually, but sometimes they have a hiccup. We had a couple of, we had one borrower um, and he had three small multifamily assets. We couldn't find him. He had Corona, he was in the hospital for a month. So he wasn't able to make his payments. He got out, he was fine. Um, He needed a month or two to catch up. He wanted to catch up, he caught up, but that doesn't happen with an institutional borrower. They usually have an organization, people, Um, management, the ability to communicate. So the nature of the borrower is quite different. Secondarily, if you have eight or 10 units in in a building and you lose three renters or four renters, uh, you're losing a significant amount, maybe 30%. That may last a month, three months, or six months. You don't have a larger project and you don't have the financial wherewithal, nor do you have a portfolio of assets that balance out where one wins and one loses. So the nature of the asset um, and the impact on a dislocation could be more severe. Uh, but overall, even with the dislocation, they usually get back on their, va- on their feet. And when it comes to losses, which is more important on a long-term basis, we don't see the losses that much different on, on a um, small balance loan as we do on a large loan.
1: We know that those smaller properties are more likely to be outside of the densest areas of the urban core. There's so much discussion right now around whether people will want to live downtown, whether you know, even if only on the margin, people will look for lower density housing and working options. If that's the case, what does it mean for the long-term demand profile for smaller properties, for, for the single-family rental market?
0: Well, we're very, very bullish on the single-family rental market. Uh, Sam, as you know, we're a leader in that space, and we do an awful lot of um, of financing for build-to-rent. That's one unique space where instead of building homes um, for sale, people build them specifically to rent them. Very, very strong dynamics. Uh, More occupancy for families, more long-term renters, and that's a tremendous trend when people want to move out of an urban area into a suburban area, don't have the down payment, or are not ready to really firmly plant their roots, and that's a growing segment. With respect to the uh, the single-family rental market for particular homes, that remains fairly strong as well as people want to move out of the urban areas into homes with their family where there's more space. And when you're locked down in your home for a month or two or three, an apartment is quite small, a home is much more roomy, and you can aggregate your family, and you can put in your whole family from two or three different apartments. So there's going to be an increase in not only, uh, I believe, uh, people buying homes, but people renting homes as well.
1: Oh, I I want to come back to this uh, question uh, about uh, renters' capacity to pay. Uh, NMHC is advocating for a national rental assistance fund. Is that something that uh, we might actually see?
0: I'm not sure whether you'll see that or not. Um, It all depends on the unemployment insurance, how long that goes. We know it goes a long time, whether they provide a little bit of a supplement. Clearly, if you look at the results of people paying their rents, are they paying their rents because they have sufficient amount of money or they're dipping into their savings? That has to be evaluated. The problem with a rental, a rental program like that, it's very, very, very hard to administrate. Um, I'm sure you followed the fact that Arbor put together its own rental assistance program. And we put that together specifically for those who were impacted. We were able to get granular. And we're able to take our ecosystem here of borrowers and work with their renters directly. And you need an infrastructure. You need an administration to do it properly. It's not that easy to do. So I think we have to watch very carefully the two factors I mentioned earlier. Um, How much does the unemployment insurance cover if they give additional monies like they did in the first couple of months? Is that sufficient um, to pay their rent And how long does it take to people return to work? To come up with a rental assistance program, the administration would be enormous. As you know, with the PPE program, they came out in a very broad-based way because it's tough to administrate. And look at how they have to pull that back. Look at the abuses. Look at how so many people who didn't need the money got it and so many people who needed the money didn't get it. It's hard for the federal government to institute a program to get so granular and hit so many people. That's why the unemployment insurance program hits those people very well. To be able to go to individual renters on a rental assistance program uh, is a very, very, very uh, tough task to do. So while I think it's a noble task to address those people, to actually do it's complicated.
1: So just in closing, maybe tell us a little bit more about Arbor's program and how you're supporting renters.
0: So what we basically did is we reached out to our uh, borrowers. We partnered with them so we'd have their participation and their buy-in, and we used them to communicate with the tenants in their building. And the message was, if you are having trouble making your payments, we're here to help you and we're here to, here to help you um, make part of it uh, or all of it um, and then once you get back on your feet we'll work with you to pay that back without interest over an extended period of time so we don't put pressure on you and the fact of the matter is most people are trying to do their rental payments but for those who don't really welcome the opportunity because they wanna make their payment. And this was an easy way for them to do it. But without the help of our ecosystem of borrowers and using their property management capability to administrate it with our tenants, it would have been impossible. But it was extraordinarily well received. Um, I personally have gotten calls from tenants um, thanking me and thanking me for that relief. And it's gone a long way to make people feel good about themselves. And no, it's just a matter of time, whether it be three months, six months, a year before they get back on their feet.
1: Uh, Ivan, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you, Stan. Stay healthy, be well.
1: That was Ivan Kaufman, founder, chairman, president, and CEO of Arbor Realty Trust. I'm your host, Sam Chandon. Thanks for joining me on The Urban Lab.
0: Thanks for listening to The Urban Lab. For more information about the program and our host, please visit samchandon.com slash urban lab.